the Givology Impact Series podcast, in which we share the experiences and inspirations of social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and change makers around the world in education. I'm Anika Sroff, your host for today. I'm thrilled to have Ian Guest and Abby Hack of the Advocacy Project joining us for today's podcast. Ian and Abby, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. Nice to see you. Awesome. So I was thinking we get started by asking, um, what is the Advocacy Quote Project? Just a broad overview. And what are your roles? Okay, well, let me pick that one up, uh, Annika. And first of all, thanks for having us. We very much appreciate the partnership with Giveology and love the work you guys do. So our organization, the Advocacy Project, supports advocacy at a community level by people who have been directly affected by violence, discrimination, environment, conflict, whatever it might be. And we help them to take action um, and to uh, develop programs. Uh, and eventually we hope um, provoke and social change, which will remove some of the causes of their problems they're facing. We've been doing this for about 20 years. We started back in 2001 and we've worked with well over a hundred different communities in about 50 different countries since then. Um, in 2007, uh, we added a, a new activity to our toolkit, if you like, um, and began to encourage our partners to tell their story through embroidery. Now, storytelling is an absolutely critical part of advocacy, because if you don't get your message out, you're not going to reach anyone, you're not going to raise any money, you're not going to get any interest from anyone. So we've always put an emphasis on storytelling. And um, in 2007, uh, working with survivors from a massacre in Bosnia, uh, we decided to experiment and see if they would like to tell their story through embroidery and weaving. Uh, those women in Bosnia made an amazing quilt, which um, commemorated uh, close family members who'd been killed in the massacre. And so we thought, okay, if it works there, well, maybe it'll work elsewhere. Uh, and now in 2021, 50 or 60 quilts later, you know, we have, I think, a very uh, well-established and quite popular uh, tool, which is used by advocates in many different countries. And the quilt project that we're currently doing with Givology focuses on telling the story of COVID, COVID-19, and the impact of the last year and a half uh, of the pandemic uh, at the community level. Awesome. And would you like to get into how you raise money for these different um... initiatives? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's a bit of a struggle, isn't it? Um, Actually, it's not really a struggle. I should, I should correct myself there. Uh, we have raised a lot of money through the years, well over $4 million for our partners. Uh, and we do that through a combination. We will help them to develop proposals, which we'll submit to governments and foundations. Um, for example, our COVID project, the current one that we're doing with you at Givology is funded by Humanity United, which is a, a foundation, very generous foundation. Um, we also launch appeals through Global Giving, which is an online giving platform, rather like Givology. Um, we've raised, you know, well over $150,000 through 
through global giving. And what we like about global giving and giveology is that it's individual people who are taking the decision to go in and donate money to a project um, because they feel strongly about it. And of course, it's their money, unlike a foundation. So we do appreciate um, that form of crowdfunding, if you like. We want to get individuals to, to come in and support the, the people we work with. I think we've done pretty well. Um, you know, we're working on a budget of about $150,000 this year, which is significant and certainly enough to cover our needs. And it does allow us to make small grants to a number of these different organizations. There are a lot of generous people out there, Annika, particularly at a time like this, when people are really in need and they need the help of, of generous people. Right. That makes sense. So can we get into how both you and Abby decided to join Advocacy, the Advocacy Project? Well, I founded the Advocacy Project back in 1998 when we undertook a campaign to lobby the International Criminal Court, which was just being established at that time. And I've stayed with it along with doing other things uh, since then. Abby is a relatively um, late arrival or recent arrival. So I'm gonna pass over to her to, to tell us how she got involved. Yeah, so I joined about last August and what really drew me to the organization was how kind of hands-on it was. I feel like there's so many organizations that will give $100,000 to a project and then kind of never see them again. But what I really love about the Advocacy Project was even with the quilt projects, we're still meeting with these partners every single week and really helping them along the way and really developing a really strong relationship with them. So it's not a distance project. We are as in, in as much in the field as we can be. We're actually sending Peace Fellows to help some of our partners in the countries this year. So I just love the fact that I can actually have much more of an, a felt impact than I would feel at a lot of other places. Yeah, that's a very and Abby's very, Abby's very effective at what she does, um, Annika. And one of the best things about our organization is that we rely almost entirely upon students. You know, we bring students in, undergraduates and graduates to serve as Peace Fellows, and they will volunteer for a period of two to three months uh, with a partner, a local partner. Obviously, everything has been done remotely over the past two years. Although, as Abby said, we are sending graduate students to Uganda, Senegal, and Liberia this summer. It's a big experiment as the world begins to open up. But generally speaking, this is we, we spread the net wide. We invite um, particularly young people because uh, you know, they're very smart. They've got lots of good ideas. And they're the same sort of um, you know, generation as many of the people we work with. Um, and we rely upon them for tech skills. You know, people like yourself are very good with technology, websites. Uh, those are the kind of skills that really are badly needed by the, the groups that we work with in these different countries. And even working remotely, I think it's, it's gone very well over the last 18 months. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm glad to hear that you guys uh, go in and actually interact with the organizations that you donate to. And it's great to hear how you joined Abby. Could you go into Ian, how you started it? Because you were the... Well, it, it's, uh, gosh, it's so long ago now, Annika. I'm not sure if I can remember, um, but, uh, but I can remember. Um, I actually was sent to Bosnia at the end of the war by USAID to, uh, to map out civil society and the way civil society groups had 
had, had formed and responded to this horrible war, this conflict in Bosnia. And I found that um, being put under pressure and being isolated from other towns and communities had forced people to become very, very imaginative and that they were, uh, they'd become uh, entrepreneurs in the best sense of the word. They figured out ways to, um, to ensure that their kids went to school, that they communicated with the next village, that they had access to electricity and the radio. Uh, the women were working together um, uh, to, um, to send their kids to school, to make food and share food. I mean, it was a, there was a real outpouring of community initiatives as a result of this conflict. And I thought, well, if that's the case, think how many other communities are under pressure around the world. And if they're just given an opportunity, um, think what they are capable of. Uh, and that's been our sort of guiding principle ever since. So we've worked with some absolutely incredible people through the years. Uh, you know, we have about 10 to 15 partners at the moment, and they are extraordinary people. I mean, they include women who were forcibly kidnapped by the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda and forced into sexual slavery. Um, river gypsies in Bangladesh who've been beaten up and, and uh, you know, deprived of their fishing rights. I mean, people all over the world who are, who are taking action um, and they simply will not, uh, they will not take it uh, standing down, lying down. And um, it's pretty inspiring to work with people like this. You know, they're very creative, they're very brave, they're very imaginative. We don't tell them what to do, but when they come to us and say, can you help? You know, we need a little bit of money, we need support from a bright student and undergraduate. Um, what about it? We, we'd say yes whenever we can, obviously. Um, and I think it's an effective model of support uh, because it brings people like you and Abby into this development game, which up to now has been a preserve of older people, specialists, uh, you know, people who have been around for a, a long time. Um, we don't need professionals in this game. We need people who care about the issues and have got real skills um, uh, and a, a, a contribution to make. Right, that makes sense. And um, can we talk a little bit more about your impacts, both qualitative and quantitative? I know you mentioned the number 4 million, but are there also some events that you think were curated by the advocacy project, some more outreach that was created? Right, well, let's bring this back to the Quilt Project because Giveology and the Advocacy Project are currently cooperating on a Quilt Project to tell the story of COVID. Um, and we may get onto that in a few minutes, Annika, but the, the, the whole um, premise of this project is that by helping people to describe what has happened to them, we are actually empowering them and giving them a reason to come together, work together in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this crisis. That is gonna make them stronger and more effective when they emerge from this crisis. And that's gonna produce a whole series of impacts as you call it. Um, now, Abby and I have been working with a group in Zimbabwe, uh, a group of girls, um, who have made stories on COVID for our quilt project. And I'm going to let her explain how that project is actually having a, a much broader impact uh, on those girls and on the key issue that they're fighting against. 
Yeah, so with this group in Zimbabwe, we are we have a COVID quilt that we produce, you've seen obviously, but we've also done a lot of work. They've also done a child marriage quilt. And this group that's working on the COVID and child marriage group is part of a larger group that's focusing on kind of combating child marriage in Zimbabwe. The overall plan is kind of get these girls in an organization so that they're meeting each other. They have ambassadors whose job is to kind of look out for girls who may be facing pressure or struggling and kind of help help them to push against the pressures that they may feel to go into child marriage. And they are also involved in a SOAP project where the goal is to get them a little money in their pockets because a lot of them do enter child marriage for financial reasons. And this kind of disincentivizes them going down that route. And the COVID project has really just given them another opportunity to stay connected. And we've really seen there's been a lot of success, especially with this project and kind of forming that community and stuff like the COVID project has helped a lot with that. We've actually, with the COVID project, they were working with a group in Arlington to kind of each develop their own independent project, but then they also occasionally come together to speak with one another and kind of each share their stories. And I think that we've just really found a lot of success in them not feeling so much of their societal pressure because they're able to get together in ways that aren't revolving around child marriage and that whole threat and kind of have their own experience to kind of act like kids, which they are, and kind of communicate with other kids in the United States. And it's been it's been really successful. Yes, I, I would add to that as well, um, Annika, because this is primarily an education project, which is of interest to Givology, obviously. Um, I mean, these are girls who are, you know, 17, 18, 19, I mean, your age, basically. And many of them uh, would have been married um, if the circumstances had been different for them. A third of all girls in Zimbabwe get married before the legal age of 18. So they're under a ton of pressure. And one of the reasons, as Abby says, is that their families are so poor uh, that they marry off their daughters to older men who've got a bit more money. Um, so poverty is really driving this problem. And we thought from the beginning uh, that if we could put some money in the pocket of these girls, it would give them a way to resist um, early marriage. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, we're only working with 80 girls at the moment um, in four different communities. Uh, and this program, this project started in 2019. But none of the girls have got married. All of them have made some money from buying and selling soap, which is kind of an, a fairly easy occupation, easy to learn. Um, not so easy to sell. It's never easy to sell, persuade other people to part with their money. But they've done a singularly good job. And um, what we now have is we have four communities of girls who are really quite tough-minded and pretty impressive. Uh, they're making a bit of money. They're paying for themselves to go back to school which is huge. Um, and so we see, a, we, we see a very rosy future for this project. It will reach out, go into more communities, bring in more girls. Um, sky's the limit, basically. And at the same time, as Abby says, they've built this relationship with high school students here in the States, a group of high school students in Arlington, Virginia, about the same age. They've all become good friends. They talk to each other on Zoom every Saturday. Um, and the quilt project, the COVID quilt project has become 
a central part of that because both of the two groups have told their stories, their COVID stories through embroidery. Both of those sets of squares have been assembled into advocacy quilts. Both are being exhibited and both are featuring in the digital exhibition that you at Givology are helping us to put together. And it's just fascinating to see these groups of high school students, one in Zimbabwe, one in America, kind of help each other to understand some of the pressures that are on them, different pressures, but pressures, and also to find a common way to describe this ordeal that everyone's been through over the last 18 months. I mean, it's been a real eye-opener for Abby and myself, I think. And it does have the potential to get back to Zimbabwe and to invigorate those very, very poor communities um, and give people there a sense that they can be, they can control their own destiny. They can have agency. They can make money. They can learn. They can go back to school, maybe even university. Those, I think, are important impacts. Yeah, I agree. And I definitely agree that um, those real qualitative type impacts are really important rather than some of the numerical statistics. So next, I want to talk about how your model has shifted during the pandemic. Um, just a little bit more about what projects have changed due to the pandemic and how you're you know, dealing with it. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to answer briefly and then I'm going to hand over to Abby on this because she's been managing all of our work remotely. Um, until two years ago, our organization focused ex almost exclusively on uh, deploying graduate students to go out and work in these countries. This was a huge effort, Annika. It was difficult. It was expensive. We had to worry about security. We spent most of the year recruiting people and then worrying about them when they were in the field. I mean, they did amazing work. There are over 300 graduates who've gone out for our organization over the years. All of them are profiled on our website. All of their blogs can be, uh, are available through our website. But our main focus was on helping graduate students to go out and volunteer to do international service. That came to an abrupt halt with the pandemic. We were no longer able to send people out. And so what we've done instead is we've kind of pivoted and we now invest um, most of our time and our effort on bringing people in and supporting our partners remotely. And I'm going to hand over to Abby here because she manages the projects and suggest maybe that she gives you the flavor of a couple of the initiatives that we're currently supporting, which we're excited about. Um, but we're doing it remotely instead of sending people out there in person. Yeah, so as Ian has said, everything's kind of now remote. And I, since I've been here, I have not experienced any Peace Fellows going out into the field. My first time will actually be this summer where we are sending three Peace Fellows actually into the countries. But it's really been interesting because we all kind of shifted to this model where everything was online, our schools, our meetings with family. And I think that that has in a way almost made it a little easier for us from at AP. I think we now know how easy it is to have virtual meetings because we've had to have it in so much of our everyday life. So when we are able to meet with them, we 
it doesn't feel awkward. It feels like we're able to have a normal conversation. And I don't exactly know how it was before when the Peace Fellows were going out, but I mean, I've been able to have wonderful relationships with a lot of our partners, even ones that we've just started. As Ian has mentioned, we are um, helping a woman who was abducted by the LRA and an organization of other women who are in similar situations. And we started with the quilting project and we're hoping to move to some other project, whether it's job training or whatever she decides. But the fact that we're able to do all of this help completely virtually, completely from the United States is I think huge. And I think it's really a testament to where we can go in the future because as other people go back to in-person, I really do see the future for us kind of continuing to be these Zoom meetings. And I think it's really given us a whole nother window into the amount of communication we can have with our partners. I, I agree with that, Abby. And I think the key point here, Annika, to, to stress is that these people are incredibly capable in these countries. They do not need, much as we love our Peace Fellows and our students, they do not need um, an expert, a professional expert, or even a, a student from the States to help them um, move their organizations along. They're very, very capable people. And so our job, I think, has changed quite significantly. Um, we're here to help and support and to nudge. I mean, we give them ideas, of course, all the time, and we will give them small grants. So, for example, let me give you a couple of examples which have come to us in the last uh, week, completely unexpected. Um, we have uh, a former partner of ours from Bangladesh who works with a group called the River Gypsies, a community of people who live on boats in the rivers of Bangladesh, fantastically poor, face a lot of discrimination and violence through the years. Our partner was almost killed um, at one stage several years ago. Um, he's now come back. And he's told us that these people who live the river gypsies are facing a very serious problem of hunger and food shortages. Um, and so he wants our help in creating a community kitchen on one of these islands. And we've said to him, look, we will definitely do that. We're in, we can give you 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever it might be, small amount of money, but you have to develop a project which is going to be sustainable and which is gonna bring sustained uh, benefits to this community. So how about, for example, we pay the fishermen to produce the fish and you guys organize the cooking in the community kitchen. And that would seem to be a way to support and uh, invigorate the local fishing industry as much as anything. Um, at least we'll give them five months, six months or a year head start, if you like, during this very difficult time. We also received um, an appeal three or four days ago from Nepal, which is right in the middle of one of the world's most serious COVID crises. I mean, people are, you know, bodies are lying in the streets. It's that bad. Um, two members of the organization that we work with have died from COVID in the past week. So, you know, we're now sitting here, Abby and myself and the team, all of us, and trying to sort of scratch our heads and figure out how, what we can do to help. Um, and we will help. We will go in with a, a small amount of money. We'll do it quickly. There'll be very few, if any, strings attached. Um, and I think this is this is one way in which we can in which we can be really really useful. And this is a model for the future, not just for us but for others who want to do this kind of work. Um, you're here to help. You don't go in. You don't impose your views on people. 
you wait for them to come to uh, to you. Um, you work, you, you help them immediately with a small amount of money. You ask that they develop a budget. Um, you put a very bright undergraduate or graduate student onto this. You talk to them every week. You give them encouragement. Uh, you tell them you love them. Um, you give them advice. And little by little, they come together as a group. They, uh, they become empowered. Um, they develop credibility in their community. And then they're in a position to put together a program which is really going to make a difference. And I think this is a very, very useful and important contribution uh, in, the, in the world of aid and development and peace building, um, because it draws on people's strengths at both ends out there in these countries where the need is so great, but also here in the States, where there are people like you, Annika and Abby, who are just very, very skillful and very committed and, and willing to help. Yeah, and I think everyone knows that the pandemic has been bad for most people. I love to see that your organization is, you know, using Zoom and all these to get closer to your um, partners. That's awesome. So next, I want to talk about just, I know we touched on some stories, but are there any particular stories or quilt squares that an individual made that stands out to you or, you know, um, makes you feel a certain type of way? Abby, I think you should answer this. I mean, Abby and I have both been working on, on this quilt exhibition that we're doing with you, Annika, the digital exhibition. So we both are very familiar with the stories that are being told. And there's something in it that in, they include some pretty remarkable stories. So Abby, I'd be interested to know, Abby, what is your favorite square that you've been working on? Well, I'll talk about one of the Arlington ones that's my favorite. Um, I love the one where the girl is running and she's in the bubble because I think it kind of shows how there's this constant struggle right now between wanting to do something you love and kind of wanting to do it in a way that's safe. And I know it's not one of the most powerful ones. I mean, some of the ones in Nepal and Zimbabwe kind of have these really harrowing stories, but I just love the way she represented herself in this bubble because I think we've all really felt that way, but the visual representation of it, I just thought was beautiful. It is a good, it is a good one. Um, so Annika, as you know, because you are helping us on this project, um, we have three sets of squares from Zimbabwe, uh, Arlington and Nepal. They all tell the story of COVID, but they come at it from a very, very different perspective. I mean, the girls in Arlington, Abby's just described one of the stories, are kind of have, have been obviously locked down for the last 18 months, but they've described the kind of mind games, the confusion um, that COVID has caused them. Um, you know, how do I go for a run and stay safe? Um, the one that Abby was just describing, um, another of my favorites is, um, comes from Kate, uh, who, um, has become very scared of going into supermarkets. And so her design features um, someone with pushing a shopping cart whose head is actually COVID, it's a COVID head. And she thinks that everybody else in the supermarket um, could be carrying COVID and could actually expose her to serious illness. Um, so the American squares, I think are really kind of interesting. They're kind of psychological. Where the heck are we with this pandemic? But for me, the, the most powerful stories are coming from Nepal, as Abby said. I mean, these are remarkable works of art and draftsmanship, um, and they really do capture the crisis that this country is going through 
at the moment. I mean, you have one heartbreaking picture of a couple who's sitting in their little hut. Uh, the man appears to be seriously ill. Um, and then just outside, you have a bulldozer that's shoveling bodies into, an, into a mass grave. Now, um, family members have not been able to attend these burials. Um, and that has been absolutely devastating for Hindus in particular. Um, it really goes against their religious beliefs um, not to participate, not to say goodbye to a close relative. So heartbreaking stories. Um, and in Zimbabwe, it's a slightly different story, isn't it, uh, Abby? The stories there are all about the violence of the lockdown, the way that the police have come in and beat up small vendors and arrested people for not wearing masks and prevented women from going to the market and collecting water. Um, the theme through all of those Zimbabwe squares. So what we have, I think, is three very unique perspectives from three different countries about the impact of this pandemic. And we're very hopeful, Annika, that with your help and through the digital exhibition that you're helping us to put together, that you know, we will provide a record for people of this horrible period that everyone's been through. So depressing in so many different ways, but we'll give different cultural perspectives uh, on what COVID has meant. And of course, it's not over yet. I mean, it's getting worse in Nepal, it's getting worse in some parts of Africa. And so we want to keep this project open and we're making it available to anyone really who wants to contribute their a piece of art that describes COVID. And we're getting some powerful squares from Kenya, from Nairobi at the moment, which is another country that's on the front line. So I think it shows how storytelling is much more than storytelling. It's a way to help people express themselves, um, and particularly when they're under pressure. Um, they're grieving or they're frightened or they're recovering from a conflict or disaster. They've lost a member of their family to a serious uh, human rights abuse. That's where storytelling, particularly embroidery, working as a group, uh, can be very therapeutic and also, I think, produce a powerful message. Yeah, I agree. And um, just to end it off, um, what are the future goals for the project? For our overall program or for the... Uh, for the COVID quilting program or for the quilting program. I mean, we have several, we have several other quilting initiatives underway. Abby, what, what are the other quilting uh, projects that uh, excite you at the moment? Well, there is the one with um, Victoria, one of our partners who was captured by the LRA, those other girls and women. And I think that one is kind of an interesting topic because everyone thinks it's over. So I think it shows that even if we see conflicts as being closed, the effects from those conflicts are still there and still present and still need to be addressed. So I think that's a great example of kind of where this project could go about addressing issues that the international community has largely forgotten about and kind of using the power of storytelling to once again, bring a light to these issues. And that is a very powerful story, uh, Annika. I agree with that. This is going to be um, a fairly remarkable um, uh, sequence. Um, these are women who were forced into marriage. They were basically kidnapped by the rebels in Uganda like 15 years ago, forced into marriage and into sexual slavery, where they lived in the jungle for several years, um, married to several married 
to several different fighters. Um, and now, you know, the trauma is still very real for them. Now they're describing that experience through embroidery. And some of their, uh, some of their, um, it's gonna have to plug my computer in here. Um, some of their squares are remarkable. They are powerful, they're heartbreaking, um, and they are just remarkable pieces of art. So I think people are gonna look at those squares, the first reaction would be, gosh, those are beautiful. But then they'll look a bit closer and say, gosh, this message is horrible. Um, so we're excited by that. We have several other quilts uh, projects underway. Um, and basically, whenever we get an appeal now or a request from a group, particularly women, uh, to work with them, we will say, okay, tell us your story. Because that way we can reach out and we can connect you to people. So we have dishwashers in Nepal. We have, I mean, we have a number of different communities that are doing this now. And I think by helping us to organize this digital exhibition, Annika, Giveology is going to give us a real boost here. Uh, I mean, it's great to be able to work with, uh, with your team um, and to be able to take advantage of your energy um, and commitment uh, as well. But we're big on the quilt project. We're big on storytelling. Um, if anyone wants to contact us, you know, they want to tell their story of COVID, they should get in touch with us. Um, and meanwhile, uh, we will also be supporting um, a whole range of other community-based initiatives, um, you know, like the one I talked of earlier with the River Gypsies, that feeding kitchen for people who live in the middle of islands. I mean, that's pretty interesting. Um, we have soap projects in Zimbabwe that we talked about, and another group uh, in Uganda, we have a woman um, who is, uh, has limited mobility, is a very good tailor. She also works in Uganda, so we're, we're helping her to grow her business. Um, and all of this is being led and managed by, uh, you know, students um, like yourself and like Abby. Um, and I think that is the future of aid. I'm very convinced of that. Um, that the days of, the traditional days of North-South aid where you had experts in America telling people in Bangladesh how to live their lives if they wanted to get their money, those days are finished. As a revolutionary prediction for you, Annika. Right. This is so great to hear all your impacts. And I just want to say um, thank you so much for joining Ian Abbey. It was very interesting to hear all your stories and the impact that the advocacy project has had on all these communities around the world. So thanks for joining. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And I, yep. And I also want to end it by saying um, be sure to check out our exhibition on June 3rd and to see the final quilts and to learn the backstories about each square. And then to learn more about the event, um, follow Giveology socials and for the advocacy project um, around the world, head to advocacynet.org, right? Awesome, thanks for listening.